The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. Let's say good morning to our neighbors to the left and to the right. Today, we are in part four of gold and silver. This is one series that you should um, keep ingesting, keep listening to over and over and over again. The, the, the reason is because it determines so many things, so many things. And even though it's, it is titled gold and silver, like we have explained severally, that with God, success and wealth has to do with not just financial, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, physical well-being, and all that. But of course, we are focused on the financial bit, and that is the focus of this series. But we should not lose sight of the fact that it is all-encompassing with our Father, with the God that we serve. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So that is God's heart, that you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Yes, so we have those programs coming up this December. We have everything for 50 and of course the Rafa Covenant that we just started because we want to share the things that heaven has given us with others. And that's what God wants for us financially. So as he blesses us, and, and, and it, that is so powerful. You know, if you look at the economy, you can be rattled a little bit. But if you look at the covenant, you can see that in spite of the conditions around you, you will prosper. Say amen. In spite of the pressures around you, you will prosper in the name of Jesus. So in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, God speaking to his people says, There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you. In the land is giving you as a special possession. There should be, should be no poor among you. By the time we get to verse 11, it says, There will always, there will always, amazing, there will always be poor people in the land. So I command you to, again, you see there, give freely to the poor and to the needy in the land. So, you must remove yourself from the category of the poor by aligning with the things that heaven has for you and embracing all that God has for you. That is how it works. And if we look at our diagram, we have the covenant. It all starts with the covenant. Then we have the mindset. Then we have the practices. The covenant, the mindset, the, the practices. So 
when we have the covenant wired into us, it affects our mindset. Our mindset begins to be aligned and we begin to, to operate and think and be set up like God wants us to be set up. Then it affects our practices. It affects the things we do. It affects how we conduct our businesses, how we carry out our lives, how we make our decisions. And of course, that now reinforces the covenant. It reinforces the covenant. That's why we will see in Daniel 11.32, Daniel 11.32, the word of God says that and such as violate the covenant, he shall pervert this is the amplified version. It shall pervert and seduce with flatteries. It is possible to violate the covenant. If that cycle is not completed, your practices does not reinforce the covenant. Your practices can violate the covenant. And those whose practices are not inched on the mindset that is not flowing from the covenant will violate the covenant. And such people, the enemy, will pervert and seduce with flatteries. Flatteries just means words that are not true. So people begin to lay claim to things that God, that is, is not, is not, they cannot take hold of. So they are daydreaming. They're, it's different between having a vision and daydreaming. They, they are daydreaming. The enemy is just messing up their minds, you know. And God is saying, but the people who know their God, the people who are rooted in his covenant, whose mindset have been altered by God, and whose practices is consistently reinforcing the covenant, shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploit. They shall prove themselves strong and they shall stand firm and do exploits. So, what are we saying? What we're saying is this. this. This is so beautiful. That when the covenant makes God personal to you, the people that know their God, when the covenant makes God personal to you, strength, stability, and exploits become the hallmark of your life. So when the covenant makes God personal to you, that is the purpose and the objective of the covenant. Where the covenant is supposed to make God personal to you. Not, not uh, the God of, of, uh, uh, of your uncle. Or the God of your grandmother. It's okay to have people that have a heritage in God. But the key thing is that it must translate to be your God. Your God. And that is the purpose of the covenant. When the covenant, again, makes God personal to you, those that know their God, you cannot know God corporately. You have to know God personally. They, they, you cannot know God corporately. There are certain corporate benefits when people that know God come together, yes. But when it comes to knowing God, it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. So when the covenant makes God personal to you, three things are common in your life. Number one is strength. You have unbelievable strength. 
I mean, people are dumbfounded. You become like an enigma. People can't, how does she survive? She knows our God. How does he survive? He knows his God. That's the first thing. The second is stability. The storms comes, the billows rose, but your house is still standing. You are standing. Your life is still standing. Stability. And then the third thing is exploits. Not only are you strong and stable, you are taking territories. You, you, are, you are performing exploits in God. You are taking territories for Jesus. You are pushing the frontiers of, of, for the faith. And strength, stability, and exploits become the hallmark of your life. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, your knowledge of God will be personal. Your knowledge of God will be real. Your knowledge of God will be experiential. And the hallmark of your life will be strength. The hallmark of your life will be stability. The hallmark of your life will be exploit in the name of Jesus. And so it is and shall be. Amen. So when we look at the there, our guest system, so we see that it's a covenant that is the big boy. By the time it goes 360, mindset has gone a couple of rounds, practices have gone a couple more rounds. And that is what keeps you strong, stable, and performing exploits. The typical problem with a believer is, is drifting. It's drifting. We drift a lot. So people start by saying, okay, I want to go on this course. I'm, I want to um, read my Bible and pray every day. Then Day one, we are reading a Bible. Day two, we are reading a Bible. We are praying. Day three, day four, day five, day 15. Then, as you want to read your Bible, you see an Instagram reel, video reel. And you're like, ah, I'll read my Bible. But let me see. I think, ah, it's puppy. Puppy is dancing. Ah. So, you leave your Bible. He says, it's just a four-minute video. And you watch the four-minute video. And as it finishes, another one. Place. Oh, that as it then it taps into you, and you begin to drift. Then the first day is not that bad. The second day is not that bad. The third day is not that bad. The fourth day you are saying, "Oh, your cousin is video has hit twenty likes." <laughs> we get distracted. We begin to drift. Drift is something that can be stopped. And should be stopped. So, if you find yourself drifting, many times when we drift, we don't, we don't, we don't. The, the reason drift is so powerful is because we don't believe it. It can cause the advocate causes. Because drift is just one step at a time, one step at a time. One step. But over time, it becomes a big problem. So, drift is one of the most dangerous things that erode. The Christian life. So you start out one way. And that is what Paul was saying to the Galatians. And we're, we're going to look at Galatians for a bit. Again, like from last week, we, we are spending much more time on the covenant, you know, really because that's the big deal, you know, um, and it affects every other thing. You know, we're going to touch on um, the mindset and we're going to um, look at practices also. But Galatians, 
by the time we look at chapter 3 of Galatians 1, Paul was saying to the Galatian church, Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Another translation says, How foolish can you be after starting your new life in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect in the flesh? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why are you drifting and you've drifted so far off from the spirit? It's no longer whosoever the sun sets free is free indeed. It is, you're adding whosoever the sun sets free and can do this and can do that and can do this and can do that. No! Whosoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Period. And we, the Galatians church had the same problem. I mean, a lot of Christians today, you started off in the spirit. You started off by being on fire for God, believing. You know, you, you, your trust is like a, a little child and you, you are, your life is a, it's, it's a mystery to everybody. Everybody looks at you like, wow, something is changing, something is happening here. Then stuff happens. You are dealt certain blows and you begin to drift and you begin to drift. You are let down. People let you down. Circumstances let you down. You are hurt. You are disappointed. You begin to drift. You need to stop the drift now because it's taking you in the wrong direction. Oh, foolish Galatians. If you started off in the spirit, you cannot finish in the flesh. You cannot Perfect it in the flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. So, you started off in the spirit. You drifted. Yes, it's okay. Not that it's okay to drift. It's okay to catch yourself. You must come back to the spirit. That is how it works. And this, you see, you, you see how, how, how it all ties, ties up in a bit. They did not think that trusting Christ was enough to get all God's blessings. I mean, in their case, they didn't think. They began to say, because they mark, they all mark, they sign, even though it's, it's a unilateral covenant, even though it is God taking all the responsibilities and making all the promises with Abraham, and of course with us, I mean, we are just beneficiaries. God required Abraham to have a sign, and that sign was circumcision of the male child. So you see that that for every Jew, that circumcision is the sign of the covenant, and that's what separates the Jew, the covenant people, from, from everybody else, at least at the time of Abraham. But when Christ came, the circumcision is of the heart now. It's of the heart. The removal of the foreskin is of the heart, not of the physical body. Now, personally, I will still do the physical body as a sign of circumcision. But I know that my circumcision is of the heart, is of Christ in the heart. So faith in Christ brings everything God has to give. Now, you need to get that. Faith in Christ, because some people are, are, are understanding this, they understand the, the, the source, which is coming to Christ. We are engrafted into what? 
And engraftment doesn't mean it's making us a new tree. It means we are being added to an, an existing tree, right? So what tree? The Abrahamic covenant. Oh, then, because they understood that, oh, this is what this thing is about, guess what? They begin to practice Judaism. I have friends today that, you know, when they greet you, it's shalom, shalom. Not that, I mean, we do shalom. We, we, there's a meaning to that. But you know what I mean? They must do the feast of Akuna. They must do the feast of this, the feast of boots, the feast of... And in the traditional way. And these were solid believers. I believe they still are solid believers. And this is where the confusion comes from. That's where people make the mistake. So the, the, the Jewish Galatians are saying to the non-Jewish Galatians, you have to be circumcised to be a part of us. So get into Judaism. But Paul is saying, how foolish is that? You believed a, a message. You, it came by the Spirit. It must be sustained by the Spirit. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this, that faith in Christ, in Jesus alone, brings everything that God has to give, including the Abrahamic blessing, the blessing to Abraham and his descendants. That's what I'm saying. So, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, by the time we get to verse 14 of Galatians 3, I mean, this is just amazing. It says that he redeemed us, Christ, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. The NLT says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing. Everybody say the same. What does same mean? Same means same. It is the same. If there is, if there is, if there is butter in the in the blessing of to Abraham, there's butter in our own. If there's flour in the blessing to Abraham, there's flour in our own. If there's land in the blessing to Abraham, there's land in our own. If there's seed and, and fruitfulness to the blessing to Abraham, there's seed in our own. If if there's the blessing that makes rich and has no sorrow in the blessings of Abraham. There is that blessing to us. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. If you get this, your life changes. Your life changes completely. Your life changes completely, supernaturally. In fact, there are Christians that are saved, but they are operating under a curse. They are still not because the blood has not cleansed them, but because their mindset has not shifted. So they are facing this way. They get saved, but they are still facing this way. But when you get saved, what should happen is when you are facing this way, when you get saved, you should do a turn and you'll be facing this way. Your mind changes completely. The MSG translation of Galatians 3, let's take it from verse 13. It says, Christ, now listen to this, it's so beautiful. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Oh, Christ redeemed you and I from the self-defeating, cursed life 
So we were living a self-defeating cursed life, facing this direction. When you come to Christ, he absorbs all that from you. And you should move from the self-defeating cursed life to be facing this direction. That is how it should be. That is how it should be. So by how does he do it? By absorbing it completely into himself. He became a curse for us. Woo! I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Don't you? Don't you just love Jesus? I mean, it's unbelievable. What my father cannot do, he has done. I just feel like that's it. Hallelujah. <laughs> he has done for me. Otishe fool me. Otishe fool me. Ojaminide, he delivered me. He completely, completely. That is good news. That is the good news. Completely. He completely, he absorbing it completely in himself. <sighs> says, do you remember the scripture that says, cost is everyone who hangs on the tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. Let's throw a party right now. Right now. Jesus became a curse at the same time dissolved the curse. What has been taken and dissolved does not exist again in your life in the name of Jesus. What curse that has kept you from possessing land has been taken and dissolved in the name of Jesus. Every curse that has kept you from being fruitful has been taken and dissolved in the name of Jesus. Every curse that has kept you from being wealthy, from entering into the fullness of, of God's provision and prosperity has been taken and dissolved. Everything that has kept you from walking with God has been taken and dissolved in the name of Jesus. And now, everyone say now. Come on, say now. And now, because of that, hallelujah, because of that, the air is cleared. Because of that, the air is cleared. In the name of Jesus, the air is cleared for you. Your air is cleared. It's cleared of all causes. It's cleared of all thorns. It's cleared of every form of deprivation in the name of Jesus. Because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessings, blessing is Present. It was a present. Oh, it's present. It's not just in the past for them. It is present. Present. What does present mean? Now, now. <laughs> now, now. It is present. So, Abraham's blessing is present. Not only present. Something can be present and be hidden. Something can be present and be locked up. Something can be present and be unavailable. Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. 
What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I want you to break your mind free from every form of oppression and anything that is trying to hold you down. Embrace this word. We are all able, we are all able to receive God's life, His spirit, in and with us by believing. By what? Believing. Not by works. By believing. Not by doing good. By believing. By believing. Just the way Abraham received it. Hallelujah. Then you can be Abraham's descendant. No wonder Jesus said to them, Abraham cannot be your father. In John 8, this you have your father, the devil. Because it is, you, 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 lion know the born goat, as our people will say. If you cannot, if you look at your son, your son should look like you. Your son should behave like you. If your son is behaving like your neighbor, something has just gone wrong. When we move, you know, we're in 13 and 14, when, when we get to 23 to 24, and, and this is so beautiful, until the time when we were mature enough, until the time we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to believing God. Now, now this was what this will happen. This will happen. This will happen. Until the time we were mature enough to respond freely by faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. Hmm. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you were familiar who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get the place they set out for. But now you have arrived at your destination by faith in Christ you are in direct, you see that, direct relationship with God. It has to be personal for it to be profitable. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing up, washing you up for a fresh start. Yes, it is washing you up for a fresh start, but the saying is not just washing you up for a fresh start. That is where some people's relationship or experience of being born again start and stop. Yes. It's not just, it is first that, but it's first that to do what? That's what we are saying. It also involves dressing you in an adult faith robe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. Oof, it's big. It's huge. It's big. So, the Abrahamic covenant which we are a part of, thankfully a part of, and thanks to Christ and what he did on the cross. The word of God say, what Jesus did on the cross is not just to give you a shower and get you dressed so that you can sit comfortably in a corner until the rapture comes <laughs> or struggle on earth, try to make ends meet, not understanding what is happening on, in, 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 the, in the world until the rapture comes. He says no. He says, it, it, yes, it dresses you up. It cleans you up and dresses you up. But it's dressing you up for that original life. 
that God has in, in mind, that he, he established, re-established, set up in Adam, but re-established in Abraham, and made it an everlasting covenant. So anyone that will work with God and be linked with God has to go and reconnect to that lineage. That is what the scripture says. And when you do that, silver, gold, land, blessings, you begin to take territories. They come against you, but you win because of the covenant that is unbroken. <laughs> One of my daughters asked me a question, you know, and, and, and said, you know, that she was reading the story of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham was the one that told Sarah to lie, that she was his sister. And God dealt with the king that didn't know. And she was like, I don't understand God here. But Abraham was the one that sinned. Lying is wrong, pastor. Is it all wrong? Mama said, yeah, that's correct. You know, whatever color you want to call it, white, green, blue, red, a lie is a lie. I said, that's correct, it's wrong. I said, but it was Abraham that told the lie. So why would God be angry and want to kill the king? I said to her that it's because of one word. And that word is covenant. <laughs> God doesn't have a covenant with the king. God had a covenant with Abraham. So I give her an example. If you have a child, your child is, is a baby has made a mistake. It's falling into, into mud. What do you do? And maybe there's quicksand. You rescue your child. You don't care about the mud. You don't care about the mistake. You rescue your child first. Later, and I'll show how God was saying to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. Later, you can sort out all those things at home. But outside, you cannot give your child to the lion to, to eat. And that is the power of the covenant. He says, you are the apple of my eyes. If someone wants to put a hand in your eye, you, you, you ref it's reflex action. You don't say, the, okay, this eye gave me some trouble yesterday. You can poke it out. No. So at that point, and in our lives, and in the life of people that operate the covenant, it's not about what they've done right and what they've done wrong. God will deal with them on what they've done right and what they've done wrong. That's between them and God. God, but if you try to touch them, God will deal with you. That is how it works. It is the covenant. It was the covenant. So we see here that Abraham was in the wrong, but God took his side. Not because God was authenticating the wrong. But the covenant overrode, overrode it. God would later say to Abraham, all this, uh, this conny conny that you have been doing, you need to stop it. But that's between God and him. Walk before me and be perfect. Keep your eyes straight ahead of you. That's what it says. That's what it means. So that's why you see a nation like Israel that is originally operated the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, prosper in spite of the fact that you can argue that they don't know God through Christ as we do. A lot of them are saved today, people in Israel. 
and more people are getting saved. But as a nation, it's not even the, the, the things they push, you'll be shocked at the things Israel is pushing. But you see, God will overlook all that and honor his covenant. Not because he won't deal with it, but that's his, his prerogative. That's his business. That's between him and his children. It's not your business. But when you look at how the children of Israel, I mean, if you understand this, you'll be at peace. Just go to bed. There is no force in heaven or on earth that can eliminate you. None. They can try, but they will fail in the name of Jesus. So we see that it is the Abrahamic covenant that is the spring that feeds the river, the beam that supports the building, or simply put, the secret of the Jews. It is the Abrahamic covenant. Charisma magazine puts it that way. That is the secret of the Jews. No wonder a nation that we know, the nation that we know today, Israel, there was no Israel, nation of Israel for almost 2,000 years. For almost 2,000 years, there was no nation. They were scattered everywhere. Yet today is one of the strongest nations in the world. Israel's population is just 1%. 1%! 1% of the whole world's population. Yet, six Jewish companies own 96%. Of world, in fact, it has, I think it has even increased because of certain things that have happened in the world. Just one nation, over 176 Nobel Prize winners, just one nation. Just one nation. To think that the population of Lagos alone is about three times the population of Israel. Lagos alone, three times the population of Israel. Yet Israel has the third highest rate of entrepreneurship in the world. In proportion to its population, Israel has the largest number of startups in the world. In absolute terms, only behind the United States because of the share size of the US. Israel produces more scientific papers per capita than any other nation by a large margin. All of the above still taking place with a nation that is surrounded and engulfed in war. A nation that is surrounded by enemies that don't want it to exist. There's something that the covenant does that makes you indestructible and prosper beyond the wildest imagination of your enemies. And that will be your portion in the mighty name of Jesus. Say amen. So today, you know, we'll go into the mindset, go into the practices. We're going to go really fast, you know. Um, we'll unpack an existing mindset that we have, we have taught. Then we'll add one new practice, and that's it, and we are done. So contentment mindset is what we're going to unpack further today, and that was number three. That is number three. Contentment, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin says, makes the poor man rich and discontentment makes the rich man poor. <laughs> you know, it's so powerful. Your contentment determines the quality of the life you live. It is not the money you have or not have. So, like he said, contentment makes the poor man rich. If you see a poor man that is actually content and happy, is a rich man. 
But if you see a rich man that is discontent and unhappy, he's actually a poor man. That's the truth. So, Pastor, how do we balance contentment and complacency? You know, that has been the issue. Contentment, complacency, contentment. I don't want to be complacent, but I want to be content. You know, even though contentment is definitely not complacency, there can be a thin line if you don't um, understand the difference. I'm going to just say a few things about it. I just need us to get a grab of this in our mind. Contentment is the key to happiness. Complacency is the key to laziness. Contentment is the key to happiness. Complacency is the key to laziness. So, to be truly successful, you have to be content. Because you need to be happy to be the best that you can be. So, to be truly successful, you have to be content. But you have to refuse to be complacent. Because complacency and success don't go together. Laziness and success don't go together. You see that. So you need to be content to be successful. But you have to refuse to be complacent. So you can be happy. You can be content without being complacent. In your marriage, you can be happy and content. But you are not complacent. You are not taking the other person for granted. You are making the other person priority. You are not complacent. You are, you are reading on how to be a better husband, or how to be a better wife, or how to be better in this area, or in that area, or, and all that. You are not complacent. <laughs> if you got it, you got it. You are not complacent. But you are content. You are happy. You are happy. So contentment is so powerful. Contentment is what makes you stay away from debt. No one becomes wealthy that is in a habit of being in personal debt. No one. No one. In fact, the real wealthy guys, they stay away from personal debt. I'm, I'm, I'm saying personal debt because I don't want to go into the details of the other kind of debt. They stay away from personal debt like a plague. Avoid debt altogether when it comes to personal finance, no matter how small. Avoid debt. I, by the grace of God, for since I learned this decades ago, I don't owe anybody anything. Nothing. What I have, I'm happy with. What I don't have, I, I'm not even worried about. If someone says, oh, oh, pastor owes me X amount, it's a lie. I don't, I don't borrow money from anybody. I don't have any personal debt. None. It's a principle I build on. And that's how to build your life. You cannot say, oh, okay, I want to buy this earring, but, oh, I really need it. Can I book, can you book me down? Let me, give me the earring. I will pay you at the end of the month. That is a poverty spirit. It's a poverty spirit. But pastor, how this book me down now? Book me down. Check the people that are doing book me down. They are poor people. They may be dressing glamorously, but they are glamorously poor. <laughs> you, you can't stop it. But if I don't, how do I survive? You know, you can't survive. You can survive without a wambe. You can survive without. Okay, what about book me down for food? 
You see, because you have extended yourself so much in other areas, then it creeps into the essentials. But if you get your act right, God always provides bread to his own. He does. So the first, that's the first thing. Contentment. Everybody say contentment. So practice number eight that we need to lock down is you need to move with courage. Move with courage. And this is so important. If you're going to, if you're going to be wealthy, you need to move with courage. You, need, you can't be timid. You have to be as bold as a lion. If you have a cause, God has shown you something. You have seen a pattern. Go for it. Give it your best shot. But Pastor, I, I am afraid. You can't be afraid and be prosperous. It doesn't go together. But what if I make a mistake? Then you will get up. Then you will get up and try again. That's what you will do in the name of Jesus. Because you'll be prosperous in the name of Jesus. So Psalm 27 verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So who shall I be afraid of? The Lord is my fortress, the pro protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Make up your mind not to be afraid of any, any human being. No mortal. I mean, this is not... Some people think they need to disrespect people to show they are not afraid of them. No, 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 no. Those are useless people. No, 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 no. You need to honor people. But not be afraid of anybody. Why should you be afraid of anybody? No fear in you. So, like someone said, until and unless risks are taken, you will not be able to fulfill your destiny. Until and unless risks are taken, you will not be able to fulfill your destiny. And because you will fulfill your destiny, you will move with courage in the name of Jesus. You will move with courage. Like someone also said that fear is a reaction, but courage is a decision. Now, I've worked with people over the years, the moment I can really get people to embrace the fact that courage is a decision, I see how their life changes. Their life changes completely. Once I can get them to see and embrace that courage is actually a decision, you can decide to be courageous. Everything in you can be shaken initially, but a choice is a function of your volition, not your emotion. So it's a function of your volition. It's a function of your will. So you can choose to be courageous, even though in your emotions you are afraid. But if you step out in courage, boom, the fear quietens. It quietens. So the Lord is my light and my salvation, verse 1 says. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3 says, Though an army, a mighty army surround me, my heart will not be afraid. In the name of Jesus, regardless of what surrounds you, your heart will not be afraid. Say amen. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. <laughs> confident on an attack. Why? Listen, if you are not confident on an attack, who does it help? Think about it. Who does he help? The only person he helps is your enemy. When you are confident in that attack, who does he help? You. 
It helps you. Not only does it help you because it's bravado, it helps you because it aligns you with the king of kings, the man of war. And because it aligns you with the king of kings, the man of war, your enemies will be crushed completely. That's how it is. Oh, that's how it is. The one thing now, and this is wait, this is this is this is this is big, this is big deal. The one thing I ask the Lord, this is where the secret of all the confidence comes. The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection, meditating in his temple. That is the key to the confidence. The key to the confidence is living habitually in the presence of God. Confidence. Yes, the decision away, but can only be sustained if your life is rooted in God's presence. God's presence is, I mean, the, the psalmist will say, I was almost backsliding until I went into your temple. I saw how the wicked prospered. I saw how they did things and they got away with it. I saw how they did that and did that. I was almost losing my faith. But when I entered your temple, I saw their end. I was like, oh. Now, until you enter his temple, I'm talking about physical temple, necessarily. Of course, sometimes physical temple. But until you make God's presence your habitation, you continue to live in fear. But when you make God's presence your habitation and you decide to be courageous, Doors will open of their own accord. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The things that sinks people will be solid ground under your feet. You will walk on water in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You will mount up with wings as eagles in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Heights that people have not attained in your generation you will surmount it effortlessly in the mighty name of Jesus. The things that make everybody panic and, and being afraid, you will walk through it like nothing happened in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By the time God is done with you, you'll be a praise to many generations. You will be able to say truly, shalom, shalom. <laughs> there we go. Shalom, shalom. I've explained before the meaning of shalom, shalom. You see, someone asked me, oh, someone said to me, shalom, shalom. I said, Pastor, do you know what I mean? I said, uh, shalom means peace. Shalom, shalom means peace, peace. And she said, not quite. You know, there's an elderly lady that I, um, I respect. She says, not quite. That shalom, shalom, when the Jews say shalom, shalom, they actually mean nothing missing, nothing broken. Ah, speak. So shalom, shalom. So I'm saying shalom, shalom into your life in the name of Jesus. So nothing missing, nothing broken in the name of Jesus. Shalom, shalom into your business, into your family, into your ministry, into everything that God is doing in your life in the mighty name of Jesus. 
But like you said, you have to be in God's presence. Your habitation has to be his presence. You're like, Pastor, I'm not saved. I'm not born again. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. Can I come to God? Yes, you can. Oh, I used to be born again. I'm not with God again. God's presence used to be my habitation, but it isn't. Can I come back? Yes, you can. Wherever you are, I want you to lift your hand when I count three. You are online, you are in church, in a physical location, regardless, God sees you. One, at the count of three, put up your hand. Two, three, put up that hand over your head now. 